We are rolling. Barry, how you doing? Very well, Dale. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for driving down. I uh, appreciate you coming down. I said uh, we, we arranged to meet at nine o'clock and uh, three minutes before nine, you're knocking on the door. I like that. It's the way to be. Yeah. It was good connecting uh, last month at Dirty Fest. I haven't seen you for a while. See you was having a lot of fun out there. What was your uh, take on it all? It was great to go back in time. I felt like I flew a DeLorean in. Mm-hmm. Who were some of the guys you hadn't seen for a while when you got there? Well, actually, I hadn't seen a lot of people since Orange shut down. Right. Orange closed uh, six, almost seven years ago now. So for me, seeing the guys at the track was just a great thing. Um, riding with people I haven't seen forever. <laughs> uh, heroes of mine that I grew up worshiping, and they're there. Mm -hmm. That was really neat to see. Um, I hadn't ridden with Mark Darcy, and I can't tell you how many years. And so riding with him on the bike was fun. Dino rode. It, you know, there's a lot of people I hadn't seen in a long time, and it's... One of those things where you get around that crowd and you fall back in time. Yeah, You really yeah. go back to your childhood at that point. You know, hanging out with Stu and riding with him again. I grew up riding with Stu, so having Stu around to ride with was a great thing for me. Um, that's Orange Hawaii. That's the way it was. You just saw people every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you always, I always say it when I see every couple, you know, year, twice a year or something, I'll see you somewhere in an event or something or, you know, somewhere I'll spot you. Uh, you still ride. You're, you're 56 and you still ride really good, Barry. Thank you. I appreciate that. How much do you still ride nowadays? Um, probably three or four times a year. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. I thought you rode more. No, no, no. no I can't. Uh, with my life and everything else, I don't have time to ride. Mm -hmm. So when I say I'm doing off-the-couch racing, it's literally off the couch. I grab a bike and just Yeah, go. but you still got it. Still look really good out there. And, um, it's muscle memory, man. Yeah. And like I say, I thought I'd been doing BMX a long time, and I, and I know you know, you were way before me. So let's, let's, let's start it. I, I'm, I'm excited about this one, Barry, because you truly are a SoCal dude, Orange Y, all the history, you know, obviously we're on the GT together, but you have a whole lot of history before your GT days. And I mean, you were in BMX action. I mean, there's so much. So uh, how did it all start? Uh, for me, it was, uh, BMX was one of those things where I was a kid on the block who could ride a wheelie the farthest. Uh, my buddy across the street, his dad said one day, we're going to go to a BMX track. I said, what's that? <laughs> I had no idea what that meant. So we jumped in the car, drove out to Escape Country, and that was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. I was immediately hooked. What I, track was it? It was Escape Country BMX. It was out in the back valley behind Saddleback. Uh -huh. And it basically it was a really rinky-dink put-together track. There's one jump in each straightaway, water hole and everything. Um, and then, then after that, they took me to Irvine City BMX. This is before sanctions. Mm -hmm. So it wow. was Irvine City BMX, uh, and which was really bizarre to ride at a place like that. And you got a little ribbon or a trophy that was basically three inches tall. <laughs> and that was the thing that you wanted on your mantle. Mm -hmm. And just aspired from there. Who, can you remember some of the guys that you first spotted or maybe raced with or anything back then? Actually, those days, no, I didn't even take names. I was, to me, it was just too overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, you got to remember, to me, that was, what, 77, so I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where I just didn't know what I was going to do with something new. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of fun just hanging out with friends. So, like, you, did you get, you got hooked straight away? Did you start, I, I've heard a few stories and some of the guys we've done podcasts with, um, especially in the Orange County, and I listen to Mike Miranda a lot as well on his podcast, how they would just race twice a day, every day of the week. I mean, did you get fall into that pretty quick? I fell into that really hard. Um, Mid-80s, we had a group of us. There was about 10 of us. We'd go to all the races. Um, my mom was one of those moms where she packed the cooler. Okay, we're getting home from work, and we're going to this track. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every night of the week, all the way through. 
on you can hit race every night of the week and then on saturdays you raced four tracks wow on sunday if you pushed it you could race three so you would just there'd be a race in the morning then you just pack up and then drive to and the it next was almost place like a, it was like a caravan so like for example on a saturday you'd roll down you'd race cold canyon mm -hmm. go from that to corona snipes then to norco then from there it was down to elsinore wow and you spent the whole day and you basically hung out with the same people all day long and that's how you have these relationships that last a lifetime. Yeah. And you'd be banging trophies at like you say, you'd make three or four trophies every day. Yeah. Wow. And so that's why when you, anybody ever asked how many trophies you had, I couldn't honestly tell you. Yeah. I could not begin to tell you how many trophies it was. We was telling, we have some friends over from Texas that were staying with us for a few days and we were talking about, you know, explaining to about BMX and trophies. And my wife's like, well, I went to England and, and Dale's sister's. Um, you know, roof, roof. Um, I don't know, we call it a loft in England. I don't know what you call it. A yeah. loft, be yeah, good. yeah. Makes so sense. we got a lot of trophies in there. And my wife um, was saying to our friend Sasha, she says, "Dale's got so many trophies and stuff in there." I'm like, "You have no idea." And like <laughs> Americans have trophies. You know, I remember, still remember the scene, the picture of I think it was Eddie King and uh, Harry Leary on Diamondback in mm -hmm. BMX action. There was like a article on there, and they got all their trophies outside. And there was a photo and, and I just never seen so many trophies and, and, and the trophies in America obviously were always huge. Mm -hmm. So you guys accumulated them pretty quick, right? Yeah, we accumulated trophies relatively quickly and there was always the local series to race. Mm -hmm. So you'd race like eight races and then get another big trophy at the end of that. Um, so there was, there was always something to do and nationals were one of those things where in your mind the experts and pros went to. Mm -hmm. At least that's the way it was for me. So it was, okay, well, I'm going to do all of the locals and any local within a couple hundred miles we pretty much ran to and raced those series and had a good time doing it. And it just made you appreciate it. Well, you also have to remember BMX was a lot different back then. Orange Y on a given night in the, in the 80s had 85 to 100 motos. Wow. You get out of there at midnight on a Friday night. Wow. And then everybody go to pizza. Mm -hmm. So it was a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. What, when did you just start getting good and start getting noticed and stuff it's it's really funny in my mind i have had five different bmx careers right and so i think that it took a lot of crashing to get good um mm -hmm. i would say i really didn't start getting good until the mid 90s mm -hmm. i was okay in yeah. my mind i just didn't start getting good um i was always the guy who could win practice right right that was uh, something for me where the pros would come to the track and i had to beat them that was in my mind I, that's the way it was in my head yeah. It's just programmed. Um, and I really enjoyed all the local series we had, the S&M Bar Slam series, things like that. Back then, you had the pros and amateurs race together. Mm -hmm. And you raced for points. And it was a lot of fun to see what you could get out of it. And as an amateur, you got bike parts and stuff like that. As a pro, they got money, a couple, three, four hundred bucks to pay car payment. But it was a good time to do things like that. Who were some of the guys you battled with? <laughs> You, you think of a pro back then, they were there. Right, yeah, Literally, yeah, yeah. It's, it's easier to say it that way. Yeah. Because on a given night, it could be anybody. Yeah. And I mean, even when we first came to California in the, in the early 90s, exactly what you said, you and Chad stood out to me. You really did, you know, because like say you was just as fast as the pros. And I think you was, was you a pro then or you'd already been a pro? I'd already been a pro. You'd already been point. a pro. Yeah, so you was kind of just having fun. I was just having fun, yeah. you know, trying to play around and basically... The 90s when you came, to me, it was just orange was home. So it was like, mm -hmm. if I could get on the gate in any gate, my favorite gate there was eight and a half. Right. But you could just run it. Yeah, it yeah. Beat everybody the first turn, that was the best part of the day. Yeah. It was amazing, those those orange. And I was, I was talking to you a little bit before we hit record. My first time there, I was so excited. 
you know, to, to go there and to, to exit the 55, right? You'd exit the 55 and then you'd look on your right and you'd see all the floodlights because it was at night. Mm -hmm. And just, for me, it was like a national just, just as we rolled in there and I was just so excited to see everybody and ride there and, and even into to, to being in, and move into America and, and California. I used to love going to Orange, you know, and, and Sundays and Friday nights and there's always different people there to ride with, you know, and people like, say, like yourself, I'm like, I don't, I don't know much about this guy and then there'd be so many guys that, yeah, they weren't big factory superstars, but they were so goddamn fast at Orange. And like I say, if you could win at Orange, then you, you really should be winning the Nationals, you know? It was, and it you was, really could, yeah. for that matter. I mean, mm -hmm. for the most point, if you won a gate and you won a races at Orange, you could pretty much go to a National and realize if you could put it together mentally, mm. you were just as fast, if not faster, than any of those guys. Yeah, yeah. And that's no, I, really the switch that happened for me later on. Mm -hmm. So when, 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 you know, going through your teams and stuff, when did you start getting picked up by teams? And, well, um, I, I basically, where I lived in Orange County, I was able to go ride with all of the good guys. So um, the factory teams were just kind of one of those things where they were friends. They really were factories. Mm -hmm. They would say, okay, hey, you need a frame. I don't like to ride in that frame. Here, try this one. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of one of those things because I was hanging out with Bill Ryan from Supercross. Well, when I grew up, we grew up around the same area. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those things where um, I knew Bride Hop way back when, when all that started. So it was like, you got to look at it from a different view. And my lens is completely, I guess, fogged. Mm -hmm. um, Craig Turner and those folks lived right around the corner from Centennial Park. So to see them on their GT bikes was, that's just down the street. I know those guys. Yeah. BDC, Boris's shop wasn't that far away. Everybody knew where that was. Mm -hmm. So it was... For me, I never really looked at the factory aspect until later on. I mean, it was one of those things where I was lucky enough to be around Chris Moeller and those guys when they started S&M. And I was on the first factory team they had. So it's, factories are kind of a strange anomaly for me. I, in my mind, I don't really look at it as a factory until I got started riding with GT. Otherwise, before that, it was, to me, it was just a mental of bike shops and playing around with the friends and riding. Mm -hmm. The real factory or the the, um, baseball analogy of basically playing pro ball that was when you got on GT you got the new uniforms and new gear mm -hmm. and all that stuff every year otherwise you got a uni that lasted you a, u a uniform a year right yeah and that's the normal local teams back then but when you're running with a company for like the firm and stuff you got new stuff every month yeah yeah you couldn't yeah. go out with dirty shoes you remember those days yeah yeah I mean you we'll move into the GT stuff in a little while but I mean, jumping ahead real quick, you had GT stuff that we didn't have. Like you had a red bike, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that was so rad, wasn't it? And then obviously, because through Chad Roberts, who was Shimano, right? You had a like a, a a better hookup than all of the Shimano. You know, you had all the well, all the, Shima the Shimano thing yeah. was kind of a, a very cool aspect of my life mm. because of Chad Roberts was my best friend. We did we rode everywhere together at the time. He got a job at us at going to Shimano. He worked at S&M before that, worked at the bike shop, and then he worked at Shimano. But when he got to Shimano, not too long after that, they said, we want to get back into BMX, and mm -hmm. you're the right person to talk to. They were talking to Chad. Well, when Chad got involved with that, he says, hey, I got a buddy, Barry, that needs, he can help us out with this too. And so it was a matter of, we wound up doing all the testing mm -hmm. before there was a DX pedal, before there was yeah. all of that stuff in the, the... I think you two were the first guys I saw clipped in, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had all that stuff. In fact, when I got my first title, Shimano engraved my cup and said, congratulations, wow. you're the first person to ever get a title with clips. Yeah, yeah, wow. So that was, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, it was a very special time in my life. 
And before you went GT factory, it was Sh you and Chad was Shimano but GT backed as well, right? You yeah, GT, GT backed for frames. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so we were doing that for probably a year and a half prior to that. Yeah. And, and then, you guys were pro tents, pits. I mean, we had everything. Yeah, yeah, it looked really cool. And then, so we were also doing the Shimano multi service at that time, mm -hmm. which was basically helping people get clips on their bikes, um, helping get with the pedals, getting them every set up at the races. And that was how we went to all the races. So we'd mm -hmm. do that be between motos and race the regular factory races during the racing times. I remember the first time we all tried clips. Uh, I'm saying we, but a lot of the, you know, the Orange County pros. It was before we did it, I remember Chad and you guys came in and I think we'd been watching you guys a little bit and, and I think McPherson was one of the first guys, right? And was seeing how fast he was at the track. And then I think you guys came and set up at Orange uh, one day and you said to all of us, come and, come and try them. So we all came to you guys, you fitted as clips and shoes. Mm -hmm. And then we out, went out and rode you know, that night and then, um, I don't think many people bid on it then. I know I tried it that night and I didn't feel anything in particular. I still didn't understand about the, the backstroke and all that stuff. And I think a lot of us, Christoph, I think Thomas would have probably been there around that time, maybe mm -hmm. a little bit before him, uh, Jamie Staff and everybody, we all tried it and then we all went back to flats and forgot about it for another year or two. Right. And then I think the second time when we like, okay, Boots had done it, um, McPherson, you know, obviously was really fast right. on, on the ABA and, you know, getting to probably McPherson got in a lot of our heads, I think, because he was that fast, especially at Orange. And then when Boots did it, then I'm like, okay, we got to do it. And, but I and remember I, you guys were, yeah, part of that. Well, and I also gave them the first straightaways they didn't have before. Yeah. Because on a bumpy track, Clips smoothed it out. Mm -hmm. And so with that whole point happening, you guys saw the benefit of it yeah. firsthand. Mm. Because in those days, we were still running Comp 3s, big old knobs. Yeah. And we were running bikes that really weren't much different than the 80s bikes. Mm -hmm. The only difference is once you put Clips on it, you kind of smoothed out a little bit. Yeah. You didn't have all those kind of weird pop off the pedal, slip a pedal in a corner. And your gait was that much quicker. Yeah. And so you saw it firsthand. Mm. And then you saw the benefits to going to it. Yeah. And the kids today really don't understand what life was like before that. No. And then, I mean, I went years with the, the and you guys, because you're still developing stuff, unclipping, you know, pedals breaking, cleats breaking, mm -hmm. just, just that whole... Um, yeah, we really were the guinea pigs. Yeah, we're, you know? it, was a, it was a giant learning curve for yeah. all of us. I think a lot. I mean, I cost me in world semis and all sorts, just unclipping and, you know, getting you, you, you know, we'd race early on a Sunday morning yep. where a lot of places, say you went to Florida, there'd be a lot of grass and dew and wet and you'd get all wet and on your cleats and stuff. First, Why am I unclipping first moto? I didn't unclip on Saturday, but Sunday I've unclipped twice in the first moto. But then you realize, okay, it's because it's wet. You're standing on, you know. The, yeah, and your, it, your mind yeah, goes. Yeah. And then, then what happens is you have 25 more excuses in the excuse bucket. Right. Okay, <laughs> this happened or that happened. Yeah. This is what happened. Or I unclipped or whatever. Mm. And it's a matter of when you used to ride flats all the time, you, what you really have to say? You slipped a pedal this out or the other, yeah. right? And then... In those days, you run the little man pedal with the giant spikes. Yeah, yeah. And if that went to your leg, you know what you hit. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And so it was all a matter of what we did to get speed. Mm -hmm. I mean, BMX is a sprinter sport with control. Mm -hmm. That's really what it is. Nowadays, it's more steeplechase BMX, but it's really, uh, in those days, it was control, find your line. Don't, and there was a lot of contact back mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. So if you got bumped, you clipped out, things happened. You had to be able to do all of those things and ride. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, we'll get back into the GT stuff. I still like to, you know, I just love anything orange and stuff. You was, or, 
uh, Orange Y local, like we talked about, he was just super fast. You could compete with the pros there. Um, he was also Sheep Hills local as well. I mean, I'd always see you at Sheep and you were always hitting everything. And mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little about your, your Sheep days. My Sheep days started well before I think most. Um, we actually used to go there when it was called the Goat Hills. See, I didn't even know it was called that. Yeah. And um, it was Estancia Bluffs, mm -hmm. which is the high school across the uh, street from where Sheep is now. So it was a different location? It, well, they didn't have jumps there. And this is 1985. Right. So you'd have jumps down the bluffs, and there was multiple lines down the bluffs. And then one day we were riding through and found there was one jump in the middle of the field where Sheep Hills is now, and it started building after that. So Sean Duncan and a few other guys started building back then, Hippie J, and they started building jumps in those days, 89. 90 that area and it started getting bigger and bigger and bigger so i guess i can say i've been there since the very beginning yeah and so the sheep hills local thing is yeah i i'll hold that moniker i'll gladly take that yeah because and, and the other spot what was it called again uh well that was uh goat hill was, goat, was that in the magazines or anything or never really made the magazines because it was only known to a few people who lived around the area right but in, remember in those days there was trails anywhere you went mm -hmm. i mean prior to having sheep hills we had Honda Hills, you had uh, Parks, you had Centennial, you had, you You can just think down the list in Orange County, we were lucky enough to have tons of places to go ride. Mm -hmm. Magnolia, Lucky's. I mean, there was every one of those trail spots we hit. I did a, it was two or three years ago, I did a podcast with Mike from Fullerton, mm -hmm. and he was talking a lot about Parks and stuff. Yeah, that's the, which did get in a little bit of magazine coverage, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That yeah. was that was a BMX track with a gate and everything. They had races. Yeah. That was built right next to a high school in Fullerton. And it was one of those things where you could go there ride any day of the week. And when you got there, you'd see pros riding. Mm -hmm. Because it was literally a track. Yeah. Doubles, triples, step-ups, you name it, it was there. And they, it was a lot of fun to play on. And Mike made a really good thing there. Mm -hmm. And everybody, you know went there to train and to ride like a riding at a track. Other places were just trails. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the trails we had back then, they try to mimic tracks. Yeah. Trails today aren't like that. They're actually just more of Well, she would do laps, wouldn't we? Oh, yeah. At least the period I was there, it was... Yeah, you, how many, how many yeah. laps can you do without pedaling? Yeah, yeah. I remember Allier was unbelievable there in Lopes yeah. and... Lopes, Allier. Yeah. Christophe was fantastic Yeah, Christophe, yeah, yeah. And so you look at it back then, you know, those guys would do jumps forwards and backwards. Mm -hmm. And you just watch how little pedaling they actually did and realize it didn't take a lot to do something. Yeah. What, who was some of the... When, when you did get to Sheep and you started, started you know, building and stuff, who were some of the, the guys that were really good back then? Was it like Billy and stuff, Billy Griggs? Griggs didn't really come down to Sheep very much. He had mm. his own backyard to go play in. Right. And, um, which was a lot of fun to ride there too. But, I mean, it was... In those days, they had the POW house mm -hmm. before you came out. Yeah. Um, and so you had the Foster Brothers. You had uh, Lawan Cunningham. You had... I, I mean, the names escaped me how many people were actually there all those times. Yeah. And you could... On any night, you could go down there and ride with the best of the best mm -hmm. for 20, 30 guys at a time, sometimes 50 people deep. Right. On any night of the week. Yeah. And you'd ride until you couldn't see, and then you go home. And that was the normal summertime. Mm -hmm. And you get that thick layer of sheep dust. And anybody who's listening to this will know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that stuff would just stick to your bike. And if yes. You did, if you didn't get it off, the, yes, chain, the, you chain, left it. the chain was wasted. Yes. The bike was like roached if you right. just left it on. Because oh, all I that totally remember that now. Remember yes. That? Yes. So you had to either, if you didn't wash it off, you had to broom it off the next morning. Otherwise right. Otherwise your bike was 
roach. It totally did, didn't it? When it, and the moisture came in yeah. and stuff. Yeah, but it would just cake on. Remember that whole layer? Yes, I totally, yeah. I want a bike cleaner, so I, yeah, it got me a few times. Yeah. yeah, and if you didn't clean it, your bike wouldn't, the chain wouldn't even run. Right. Uh, and I think with, you rode in, jumping a few years to when I was there, you rode there clipped in as well, right? Yeah, I did, often. Not many people did that, did they? No, Maybe no. Everybody changed their after. You know, you go to the races, you ride clipped in, you go to the track. Yeah. And then you, when you leave the track, everybody immediately goes, puts the flats back on. Yeah. Um, when we were doing all the testing and stuff, I, we, Chad and I were like, okay, well, you got to ride clipped in everywhere you ride so you get used to it. Yes. Um, in fact, the day we ever tried it, do you remember Dover before? Was that there before you came out? I, I went a couple times, yeah. Right, okay. right when I got there, I went there, yeah. So the first night we tried it, it was an evening. It was about 4 o'clock in the mm -hmm. afternoon. We got to Dover and put them on raw mm -hmm. and started riding. That's not like a big cliff jump there as well. Well, yeah. the cliff jump was there, <laughs> yeah. but we weren't doing the cliff jump. It was more like the, the, the rhythm sections and the doubles and everything else. Yeah. But those things were tight. And if you screwed up and you popped off a pedal, you're getting hurt. Yeah. And I'll never forget how many times I crashed that night. It was mm. just left, right, left, right. Because you're not used to having your feet tied. No, bike. no. It it's was scary the first time we did it. It's a completely different feeling, right? And so we did that. Then we went to Sheep Hills. And then I got to a point where I was staying clipped in everywhere. In those days, I rode a lot of skate parks too. Mm -hmm. I did that clipped in. What skate parks did you ride? Um, all the way back to Big O. I mean, I mm. was lucky enough to go to Pipeline a lot when I wow. raced coming up as a kid. So that was a lot of fun because they had a track right behind Pipeline. See, I didn't even know that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, you could ride Pipeline, mm -hmm. go race the track, and when you're done racing, go ride Pipeline somewhere. Wow. And that was a, that was a normal I mean, Sunday you night. was living the magazine life every day. You I know, was. For us to what reading the magazines and that, just to get anything we can from Southern California, you know, that was your day-to-day. -day. That was my day-to-day, -day, and yeah. I was really lucky that way because, I mean, I think back now, and I was very lucky where I lived at the time. I lived at the, the best place in the world to live mm -hmm. because we had all the magazines around us. If there was a test going on, it was coming in. Gork was coming to the track, shooting photos. Mm -hmm. Wendy was out there for a, a, a show of or a brand new ad for a bike. Mm -hmm. GT was always shooting ads at the track. Yeah. Um, and if there was a test coming up, hey, can you come out and ride? Mm. And yeah, you got some good pictures in the mags, yeah, in, it was in the Nimex section. That was one of those things where you yeah. just know the right people. It's mm -hmm. still that way today. If you go to a, something you need, hey, call them up, they can go ride. Yeah, yeah. And it was uh, in those days before there was KODs or any of those other things, you just knew who to ride with. Mm -hmm. And it just lucked out for me that I knew the right people. Yeah. Who's your favorite pro back there? Was anybody you looked up to, or maybe even amateur? Who were some of the guys that inspired you? Well, I mean, I always liked Daryl Young's style. Yeah, well, yeah. I, uh, Mike Miranda, he was very stylish. I loved power Gary would put down. Mm -hmm. um, Stewart was amazing because he was always so calm. Mm -hmm. Greg was so intense that he was fun to talk to mm -hmm. and race with and ride with. And so for me, those were the types of things where, in Centennial, for example, Longcarabish lived around the corner. Mm -hmm. Um, Greg Turner, I mean, yeah, Gary Turner and those guys, they lived just down the street. Um, the bike shops were all very close by. They were all very tied into that circuit. So if you look at those names back then and you look at who they became, mm -hmm. it's kind of incredible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Just history was being made, wasn't it? And I, I didn't realize it when I was growing up in it. I was just, it was just fun. Mm -hmm. And even SM, you were part of that crew as well at the start, yeah, like you absolutely. said. Absolutely. Well, when I met Chris Moeller... The day I met Chris, he came out to Sheep Hills, I mean, to Centennial Park, and he was like, oh, those are jumps. He wasn't knowing how to do that stuff. So it's all new. So when yeah. I saw Chris, he couldn't jump a double from me to you right now wow. talking. So that's all progression. Yeah. And he progressed faster than the rest of us. Yeah. And it was like one of those things where 
you look back on those days now and it was like kind of amazing to think about. Mm. Yeah, you really were. You're like, you guys were writing the, 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 the history of BMX was, but was happening right there, you know? Nobody ever thought it would be, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when the dad's cruiser class started mm-hmm. and it was 31 and over. Mm-hmm. And everybody looked at those guys like they were dinosaurs on bikes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you're a teenager and you're kind of laughing and watching a guy who's 31 years old and their gases are going across the track, and they called it the cardiac class. Right. Now, <laughs> yeah. fast forward all these years later, yeah. how old's the class now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the pros are in the 30s and still winning stuff, you know? Well, I mean, uh. um, Randy, when he won his, was 33. Yeah. Double yeah. A pro. And Jaris is. 32 or 33 now and still winning. Exactly. Yeah. And then, so then that's why they made Vet Pro 30 and above mm-hmm. because those guys were that old. That was the whole benchmark. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at it, it's kind of strange, but we all grew with the time. So we're still able to do it. Yeah. I mean, there's a vast majority that can still grab a bike and go ride. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to ride with the Pattersons back then and now when we went to Dirty Fest. Yeah, yeah. That was historic to me. Mm-hmm. So I get on the gate, the guy next to me, I'm like, I haven't seen him on a gate since the 80s. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. You kind of was the start of the, like say the new aged, would you say the new aged old classes that, you know, where where you got sponsorship and then got yeah. it. So how did you get to that point? You said you'd been a pro and then you'd kind of reclass back to amateur. Then did you start to get serious again? Yeah, I kind of got serious again um, when I hit my 26th birthday. And there was a, a couple of buddies, my local racing cruiser, and I saw the nationals. I thought, you know what? Started doing some simple math. I said, if you really did good in cruiser, and I know cruiser doesn't matter, and all you guys say that. I, I count it. Yeah, yeah, I know some people a lot of people yeah. say that cruiser doesn't count. Yeah, I count it. So, um, <laughs> you know, so it's one of those things where I saw a cruiser as a gateway for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't own a cruiser. In those days, I'd call Ray Rome and go, hey, I'm going to a national. Can I borrow a bike? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of funny. He goes, yeah, I have one. I ride to the store. You can use it. It was an Elf. Mm-hmm. Had a 4416 gearing on a cruiser. Oh, <laughs> backbreaker. It was. <laughs> I went to my, my first race. I borrowed that bike. I raced uh, the, ba- uh, the Burbank race where we raced in the inside of the arena. Okay, I didn't do that one, but I think yeah. like mid-90s. Yeah, mid-90s. Yeah. It was in 93, and I raced that bike. Didn't change the gear, didn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, okay, got going, all of a sudden going faster, faster. There's nobody around me, I'm alone. Right. It was the strangest experience. And then for me, it was, I started winning races in 93, and it just it went steady forward from there. And it also started because the BMX was, the history was getting older, so they were starting to introduce new classes now, obviously, with which you, you was competing in, right? Yeah, so basically it was kind of like every time I had a birthday, that's in my mind, it mm-hmm. kind of happened that way, when they came up with the 28 and over class. That was the year I turned 28. Yeah, perfect, yeah. And Ray actually said it on the, na- Ray Rome on the Nationals, he goes, oh, it's the new Barry Nelson class. Right. It was, that's the way it kind of went. Yeah. And so for me, I was just very lucky. I was on that. Yeah. And to me, I was riding the wave because we rode it till it hit the beach. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was, I got better as I got older. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your first, you know, you you were somewhat, you know, uh, 3D racing is the first time I kind of remembered you. You mm-hmm. know, there's a kind of a, a team and that in Orange. That was a local group of dads that got yeah. together. There was three dads that said that's where 3D came from. Right. And there's three dads that said, hey, our kids want to race and they can't get on a team. And instead of just trying to, what bike shop can we make? They went out and started talking to different people and they made up their own team. Mm-hmm. And it was just, we had a group of 30 people. They asked me to be one of the older people to be on the team to help the kids figure it out and get better at it. So I kind of did a little coaching with them. 
And we just had a lot of fun. We traveled the races as a big family group and just had a great time racing. And that's when you were starting to get kind of serious again then? Yeah, I was, getting, yeah. I was getting more and more serious as I went. Um, then with uh, doing well and winning the Grands, and I got the NAG title for that year. It was one of those things where the buttons just started hitting for me. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of that year, I got a new sponsor, went to Responsive Racing. Uh, that was another dad team. They came together at Orange, again, Orange. Mm -hmm. And uh, we raced all over the place. They sent me to Nationals, and I got enough points to get into the title hunt. I got number four, I think, that year. And then just, okay, I can see the light bulbs coming on. Yeah. And then, okay, BC Free Agent came in. That was 95. Yeah, that stood out, that team, yeah. That stood out yeah. really well because we were a factory team. Yeah, Cully was on the team, right? Yeah, Cully was there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Dave from BC ran a great crew. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of really high-end talent. Mm -hmm. And so that was, we were very fortunate. We'd go down to Gates all the time, train, had a, and a lot of fun. So that kind of morphed into moving on to the GT days after that. Because mm -hmm. everybody saw how that was working for me. Mm -hmm. I almost got the title and crashed in 95. I got pissed off. Came back in 96 and won it. Tell us about getting on GT then. How did that all come about? Uh, <laughs> that was kind of weird. I was riding for Shimano. Shimano was my, basically my main sponsor at that time in 96. And uh, I was running GT frames. And I got a call out of, out of the blue and it was Bill Nelson. Mm -hmm. He goes, yeah, Barry, this is Bill Nelson from GT. I go... Bullshit, no, not the phone. <laughs> and he called me back two minutes later. I thought somebody was pranking me. And see, in those days, right. you didn't have caller ID. Right, you know, yeah, it was, yeah. It was that house phone ringing. Yeah. So when he called back, he goes, no, no, this is really, because he was calling from his shop. And he's going, no, this is really Bill Nelson. Right. We'd like you to ride for us. And I was like, you know, I'm 30 years old. What's going on here? Yeah. He goes, no, no, we really want you to ride for us. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're serious? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, for the next few years, I rode for him. It was great. So tell us about being, you know, amateur on GT, some of the, you know, I think I spoke about it lots of times on podcasts and stuff, but as a, from an amateur's perspective, you guys were taken care of, you know, just equally as, as the pros, right? We were as close as it can be to being a professional player of any sport you can think of. Mm -hmm. I mean, every time you went somewhere, it was a brand new car, picking you up for the... the Rental cars, you always had brand new bikes. You mm -hmm. never had a bike that was out of tune. Mm -hmm. um, Chad made sure of that. I never had anything that was not out in tune. Mm -hmm. um, and it was one of those things where our stuff always looked top notch. Mm -hmm. And you'd fly in, you'd do a race, you'd fly out. Yeah. It was really so pro, it was not even funny. Yeah. Who was you, because the amateurs kind of did their own thing, I think, seem to remember, but you being an older one, who was, was there anybody in particular you, you grouped up with on the team or you spent more time with? Or you, it was kind of weird because yeah. I was so age gapped yeah. from the rest of the guys on yeah. the team. And for that m pattern, most of those guys have been racing together as a team for a long time. Yeah. I was kind of like the outsider that came in. Yeah. And in those days, I was working a full-time job mm -hmm. as well as racing. So I would fly out on a red eye on a Friday. Yeah. Sometimes land at the National when practice was happening on the Saturday morning. Mm-hmm do the parade lap, that was the only time I saw the track, and then race the moto. Oh, well, I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, and I did that several times Yeah. in 96. That was just the way it went for me. Mm -hmm. And it worked out. And so, I mean, whether you flew to Canada or you flew wherever the races were, mm -hmm. you do an overnight and get on and you're there. And so the bikes were already there, and I just got going. So first, first title, uh, tell us a little bit about that. First title was nerve-wracking. Mm -hmm. um, I won it at uh, the Oklahoma City race. And in those days, it was, I think we had 80 riders in cruiser. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it was just ridiculous. Yeah. And 
I was going in where I was leading the points most of the season, but I had to win the race, of course. Yeah. And got lane eight. Um, I almost crashed in the semi from lane one, so I was happier to be outside. Yeah. And uh, I got a fairly decent start, and just in my mind, I'm like, okay, if I can see it to the daylight, yeah. in my mind, daylight is when you go into the first turn and you're alone. Yeah, yeah. If I can get to the daylight, this thing's over, it's mine. Mm-hmm. And that was just, it was, I just kept pedaling until I got to daylight. Mm-hmm. And then it was autom- autopilot from there. I can't even remember the rest of the race. It was just one of those things where I, as soon as I got to daylight, I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. And then being able to hoist that cup was amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was a very euphoric feeling. Yeah. Who was, um, and obviously you went on to do that for, for numerous years. Who are some of the guys that you battled with then in, in, in that class? I know Jorg. Yeah, York. Come, but that was probably a couple of years later, right? When York came. No, York uh, came over what ninety seven, ninety eight. Okay, 90, yeah, it would have been yeah. Yeah, ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah. He came over. Uh, we raced a lot together. Yeah. Um, you had um, Brown. Okay. Chris Brown back yeah. in those days. Yeah. We had uh, there was a, so many guys. Um, Archibald. Archibald. He's still fast. Still isn't he? fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's one of those things where in those days the guys who were still chasing the cups. Yeah. Back then, are still we're still trying. Uh, sweets, for example, is still trying to get a cup now. Yeah, and so it's one of those things. Where was sweets around when you was doing it? Or? Well, I've been racing with Eric since yeah mid eighties. He's strong watching him on the video. Yeah, yeah. but see, when yeah. in those days we all grew up racing Cool Canyon and all that stuff. Yeah, he was a local guy too. Yeah, so it was like we kind of all grew up around the same thing. Robert yeah. Ramonde, for example. Yeah, he's still racing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. still racing. And yeah. so if you go back and you start slowly picking out people mm-hmm. there's a lot of us have been around for a very 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 long time yeah yeah what about on the east coast with any different kind of guys east coast or? was weird for me because um when i'd get flown into an nbl race it was kind of like dropping out of the sky mm-hmm. i didn't know what to expect there you race three motos not for points but you you had to get well do well in your motos to get out right mm-hmm. and so it was a, a new experience for me i remember going to the nbl grands in 96 with a three-digit number plate because I was new to it. Right. And leaving with a single digit, which yeah. was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you got to race people you just didn't know. They never, it was very divided back then. A lot of people didn't come to the West Coast. Right. Just like we didn't go to the East Coast. Mm-hmm. So it was just one of those deals. Yeah. Uh, so you stayed on GT two or three years before? Three years. Three years. How did it come to an end with GT? The uh, it was one of those things where at the end of the 98 Grands, um, there was kind of a little shakeup in the team and, uh, Chad had gotten picked up by, uh, Haro mm-hmm. and Haro asked me to join their team. So you just went one, from one good team to another good team. One, one good team to another. Yeah. And then I rode factory Haro for the 99 season and got another cup mm-hmm. and it was, a, it was a good thing. Um, it was really strange. My first big race on Haro in, uh, Phoenix blew up in the rhythm section. Right. Uh, built a bike that was O2 light and right. I was going O2 fast. Right. <laughs> and literally I exploded. Right. Busted my wrist in two places and it was one of those things where I'm like, okay, well this year might be a problem. Yeah. But it was a, a lot of PT, got back to racing and wound up winning the cup at the end of the year. But it was like, you know, those things just rattle around in your head. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, am I done? Am I not done? Yeah. It was just, just a long season. You've got time to recover in America. And then a- ABA is a weird ABA thing. ABA definitely. Yeah. ABA definitely because yeah. you only get two weeks off. Yeah. 
so you can still make up the points later down the road. Who are some of the guys when you was on horror then? Was it been like Matt Ortwine, Jamie Staff was probably on the team then as well? Uh, Staff was on the team then, that's right. Um, we had Mikey Brabant. Oh, Brabant, yeah. Um, oh, Brabant? Oh, Mike Brandt? Brandt, yeah. From Brandt. Florida, the guy from Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was good, one to you? Yeah, yeah. It was really weird because they had some really good East Coasters yeah. as well as West Coasters. And the way Tony had set up the team was you kind of didn't really mix mm-hmm. because they had a East Coast and a West Coast. They had Coast. a Bill Prince, I think, did the Florida horror, didn't yeah. he, as well? And Florida was its own country back then. Yeah. I mean, when you went into Florida, they had their own dynamic and series going on mm-hmm. in those days. Yeah. So it was fun to race in, in Florida. Yeah. And when you guys were the horror, so Adidas was a big sponsor then as well, wasn't it? Absolutely. You probably, Dave Mira era as well, and Nyquist, so you guys were probably getting some of that, got some of the of good stuff that they well. bought in. Yeah. yeah, I got a lot of stuff as well from that. Yeah. It was kind of strange to get good home. There's a big box of Adidas shoes. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, in, the, in the GT days, it was Nike shoes. Yeah, yeah. And it was always, you had to have those shoes on. Mm-hmm. It was one of those things. It was weird experience but fun yeah did you ever because obviously you were, you were super fast then and even though you was riding amateur did you ever have the desire to maybe jump back in pro or oh constantly yeah constantly you was fighting yourself not uh, to... not really fighting myself more of the teams it was one of the deals i made mm-hmm. so it was i knew i could compete yeah at the pro level um and i think for me the hardest part was that i wanted to go to the worlds and compete and yeah you never did a world did you none of the teams would let me go no they, did, they figured they had riders of that age they'd want to send from other, yeah. other areas and they didn't want to send me. So it was one of those frustrational points. Yeah. So I didn't get to go out to the Worlds. Yeah. So I just beat up on the ABA, ABA Worlds instead. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at I was looking through your pictures last night and stuff, and I saw a couple of ABA World titles. Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. Uh, I was lucky enough to get yeah. a bunch of those actually. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget about that. I mean, it was still you know it was probably it was a you know it was it was a glorified ABA national but it was still hard to win because it was yeah right. uh, ABA national in the US you know well, it was an ABA national yeah. in the US but a lot of people from out of country did come yeah. to it too and they did do them sometimes before the worlds like yes, uh, I, think world I did one in Ohio the week before the Detroit worlds in 94 I think Canada they kind of backed yeah. it the worlds there Canada was one mm-hmm. um, and then there was a couple others where it seemed like it was very close to the world. Yes. Yeah, so and the, so they, they did it as a pre-race kind of thing. Almost. Yes. And so that was the vibe in it. Yeah, no, And I it. Uh, it was actually good for the ones who went to both. Yeah. But it was funny because I knew the guys who won the world titles mm-hmm. in my class. Mm-hmm. And they didn't beat me when we were racing our regular races. So yeah. That kind of frustrated me Yeah, you never got a chance to go and give it yeah. a go. I think Jörg won a handful of world titles, didn't he? Yeah. Yes. Or like four or five, I think. So, yeah, so yeah. He, he and I were extremely close as far as racing otherwise. Yeah, yeah, you definitely guys had some good battles. Um, from Haro, that seemed like come to an end, and then Answer, which was a huge team at the time, right? You yes. went to Answer, so how did that come around? Um, I got a call when, at the end of 99, they had a big uh, change and they had to let basically a lot of the amateur team go. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as I come up the phone with that call, the phone rings and um, I get a call from Answer. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, I know that that just ended. Would you be ready? Who was running? Is that Joey Licata then? Licata, yeah. Licata. Yeah. And so I've known Licata for a long time. He goes, hey yeah. man, Tony D just called me, said Barry's available. Yeah. And that was the next call he made. So um, I, I think I was without a sponsor for about an hour. <laughs> that was pretty good, yeah. Yeah, it, it really was that quick. Not so and stressful. I, no, it wasn't stressful. Uh, it was just kind uh, of like, okay, put a new uniform on and yeah. go. And it was, uh, it was really cool because in those days, then you got to ride whatever bike you wanted. Mm-hmm. Well, and so I changed over to my own, my own bike at that point. What bike was you riding? Pro Concept. Okay, Pro, Pro Concept. Yeah, because that was a big thing as well. I want to. The Ontario guys, right? Yep. 
Yeah, you did do that. So tell us a little bit about the answer, answer years. Answer years was great. It was one of those things where to me, they allowed me to have the freedom to go to a bunch of different races I wouldn't normally go to. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun for me because I started pushing it really hard then to go, I wanted to go back to um, being a vet pro. Mm -hmm. And they allowed me to do that. Mm -hmm. And so in 2000, after winning the four titles, I went back to vet pro. So how, how who was so who would have been the vet? That was when Roop Carnes. Yeah, Carnes was, wasn't vet pro yet. Okay, was pistoled in a little bit. Uh, not then, no. No, no, he left Double uh, A pro and just stayed out of sight for a little while. Who else was in that class then? Um, it was. It was they'd already done the cruiser vet pro, the the, the 80s guys. So it was yeah, kind of so like the real it was first a, vet pro in 20 inch. It right? was the first vet pro in 20 inch. Yeah. So back then it was it was a handful of guys, and it was just like I think we had what 13 at the World Cup, mm -hmm. and it was it was deep. Harry, Larry, Chris Moeller. Okay. Yeah, and so it was. It was a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Um, I wound up getting broke off at the ABA World Cup mm -hmm. up in uh, Salt Lake City. Okay. Nine broken bones, one crash. Whereabouts on the track? Uh, triple going into one. Was that like a left hander and then? Yeah, it was a, a, it was a, a step up into uh -huh. a triple, and as soon as you land off the triple, you go to a, a left hander to a subtle right hander, and I tried bump jumping it at full speed in practice. Oh. So you was that for a while. Uh, no, actually, I iced my leg, went to a massage therapist, um, and they got me taped up, and I raced that weekend. Oh, <laughs> so you just carried on? Carried on. I, I broke my wrist, broke all the bones in the wrist, mm -hmm. broke my sternum, uh, right kneecap, and my skull. Oh, my God. You just carried on? Yeah. I think that's just the way it was back then, wasn't it? Just like, I still yeah. won the race. Yeah, yeah. So you, you won Vet Pro? Yeah, I won Vet Pro. So how did you end up that year? Um, vet Pro, see, I got second that year. Behind Roop? Yeah, I won every race at the Grands. Mm -hmm. Funny story about that. I won every race at the Grands that year, but the race previous to that was Del Mar. And uh, they were flirting with having other people go into Vet Pro. Carnes was uh, racing in Double A Pro. Yeah. And the week before, he had gotten like a third in Double A. Mm -hmm. And at the race at uh, Del Mar, they said, oh, yeah, you can race Vet Pro on Friday night. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, so they let him race Friday night. Yeah. And when we all realized, okay, this is, this is going to wreck our points. We've been racing all year long if anything were to happen. Mm -hmm. So he won, and I got second on mm -hmm. Friday. Mm -hmm. They took him out of the class on Saturday. Oh, wow. Put him back to April. They said, well, you can't be in there. Right. He's not supposed to be. You shouldn't have, we shouldn't have let that happen. Yeah, yeah, mistake. So, but still, that point changed things. Well, I had won the, uh, the other races, so I didn't get that win. Mm -hmm. That was the one point that kept me out from winning the title. Oh, game. I see. I had no idea yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I did not get the Vet Pro title because of that, for one, that one race. Oh, bummer. Yeah, so it was like, I look back on it now, and I'm like, okay, well, the ABA definitely owes me a mulligan on that one. Yeah, dummy you cons. Yeah, so it was just <laughs> one of those things where, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget that. That was one of those things. It was like, uh, you know, I was trying to get the next cup in line. You know? Yeah, that would have been pretty cool as well from Ham to... Yep. To Vet Pro. So how did the next couple of years go? Looking at your notes, you went to Action Bike. Was that a Texas team? Yeah. Ex Chad uh, Street was on that, right? Chad Street was on that team. Yeah. Um, that was really cool because I was doing a kind of a privateer thing at the for a while there as a Vet Pro when I left Answer. And I got a call out of the blue from them. They said, hey, ride our stuff. We'll take care of everything. Who was financing that then? Um, well, that was basically, uh, what's I can't remember their name. That's been too long. Um, but I got a call from them and we started running the deal. That was, so it was a bike shop? In, it was a bike shop in, in Texas, Texas, yeah. Yeah. 
And it worked out really, really well. I mean, it was like for me, it was kind of like an absentee sponsor. Mm-hmm. They would say, how'd you do it that race? Okay, great. Let's go to the next one. Yeah. And it was just kind of one of those things. And we built on it from there. And I rode for them for uh, two seasons. It was a lot of fun to race for them. Mm-hmm. And when that deal went and, and I ended, I, I really looked long and hard because I was spending a bunch of money out of my own pocket racing Vet Pro mm-hmm. and not getting anything out of it. No. I mean, in those days, you know, it spent 20 grand to go racing. Yeah, yeah. I think the Vet Pros still struggle with that now. It's just so expensive, especially now it's really expensive to go racing. And they obviously, to, to even break even, I think you've got to probably win both days and more, you know. So, you, you can't, yeah. even at the races, if you win everything. Mm-hmm. If you won every race as a Vet Pro, you'd only, you wouldn't make 10 grand. No. And it would cost you 25 yeah you really gotta have a good sponsor to to, to cover all the sponsors don't typically take care of everything in those days they didn't no so i mean as if you were doing it yourself you're not making money at it so did you slow it down then and i know you fullerton bikes was probably yeah i kind of like was chilling a bit then right? I, I downshifted then at that point yeah um i got married in 04 and thought you know what i'm gonna put career and and mm-hmm. life at home yeah. more ahead of things and uh, I've known Franzi since the early 80s, so it was one of those yeah. things where he had a nice team. I rode for him. Mm-hmm. I rode for him for a long time. Yeah. Uh, we did a lot of races, had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. And then just, you know, kind of more from there. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the, I, I, I know I was there, the, the last race at Orange 2016. Um, was that, how was that for you, like being a real Orange? I know a lot of people were sad that day. And, it was a, but for you, a real Orange local, for you know? For me, I yeah. was the last main on the gate, the last race. Oh, okay. I, I think I read that. Yeah. Yeah. And so being the last main, the last gate, it was, there was tears in my eyes going mm. around the track. It was like, I'm never going to get to do this again yeah. at this spot. I mean, if I had a nickel for every lap I ever did on that track, yeah. I couldn't tell you how much money I'd have in the bank. Right. I mean, you know, it's just one of those things where you spend every day of your life as a kid there, then they're open, and all those countless Tuesday nights hanging out and riding laps with everybody, mm-hmm. all the races we did throughout the years, those were all running through my head. Yeah. And so when I got across the finish line, I got my, my, my trophy slip. I'm like, that's the last time that's going to happen. Yeah. And it was just, I stayed. I, I was the last one when I left the track that night. Wow. It's still, I haven't been past there lately, but I know for many years, and I've seen the photos and stuff that some people sometimes still still kind of there, right? Just overgrown. The, the, the track itself was kind of bulldozed, mm-hmm. so nobody could go ride it. But the fence line around the track is still there. Yeah. The lights are still there. Mm-hmm. They haven't done anything with the land. It's been seven years. Yeah. Well, the reality is they can't do anything with it. Orange is on top of an old dump. Mm-hmm. To excavate that out and make the dirt worthy is just un, incredibly un, unworthy to do cost-wise. It's cost prohibitive. Because mm-hmm. um, I know Costco and Walmart both looked at the property. Mm-hmm. They can't do it surely for the cost because all the methane is still coming out of the ground. Yeah. I saw just a couple of weeks ago, Todd Hoffman and, and Toby Henderson, a couple of guys were at some kind of meeting to try and get a track in Orange County again. Yeah, they're, 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 they're pushing uh, to dry. There's, there's other land in Orange where they're trying to get another track in Orange County. It's, it's, a, it's a slap in the face that Orange County, which had so many tracks at one point, mm-hmm. has no tracks. No, it's like history kind of died into it. It did, yeah. Or, or just, just like I say, just churned out so many, so many people. We came here because of the history that we we saw about Orange, and then like I say, seen so many riders and age groups, pro, just just so many great people, and continued to over the years, didn't they? Just churn out yeah, it, so it many was, great riders. It, it was a BMX mill for yeah. many many years, mm-hmm. and you, if you look back on the history of it, you couldn't pull anybody for 20 years that wasn't somewhere connected 
mm -hmm. this area, mm -hmm. including yourself at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. I really hope that they they do something again. I know Tammy still kind of keeps the. And and um, there's Bellflower and there is um, there's Whittier Whittier yeah, yeah. Just, so Roland yeah. has a really good program yes up in, he does in Whittier, yeah and then Tammy has a, a really good program there yeah the problem with Orange County is Orange County is really yeah. well spread out yeah and for those of you who don't live here it, it can take you if you're in Central Orange County to drive to Bellflower on, on an evening can take you two hours yeah to go to Whittier can take you two hours mm -hmm. um, another track that we don't talk much about is the one out in Elsinore mm-hmm those all are about the same length time and miles wise yeah so it's kind of cost prohibitive to do yeah yeah no i get it yeah i really hope these guys get to to do something again like say history would be i'm sure it'd be very easy to relight that uh yeah what you said mill it would be in one way but yeah. i don't know if you'd have the people to pull from anymore because mm -hmm. everybody's found something else to do yeah yeah you'd really have to start from scratch again wouldn't you yeah you would you know you almost have to do a donnie robinson program yeah yeah i think it really would have to start grassroots and start rebuilding but sure it'd be fun watching that it'd be a kick. magic happen again you know it'd well, be a great you documentary see it with your clinics yeah. i'm sure mm, yeah yeah with riders that come through and stick with it and with slowly now after years of doing it progressing into state racing we've got guys now doing nationals and stuff and i've just sponsored a kid that started at my you know camps two years ago um so it's great to see the progression but yeah i think lighting a match in orange county and doing all that again would be i'd love to see kind it. of fun you know i would love to see it it would be something pretty cool so when did you start slow i know you kind of slowed it down again but then um you ride for yourself now for your business mm -hmm. you still ride and when was the last time you raced uh last race i did if we don't count dirty fest right <laughs> <laughs> um and just as the pandemic was kicking in my son came to me on a thursday afternoon and says hey there's a national in vegas mm -hmm. do you want to go mm -hmm. and i'm like oh, let's get the stuff let's go yeah, and yeah. it was really kind of those weird things where we drove out friday morning to the race in vegas in 2020 right and, how do you do uh five wins oh my god really second. yeah and now there's <laughs> so you told me your age day 56 and there's now that new Class, right? 56 yeah. or 57 is and over? Well, it's, uh, what is it? At the time, it was 5155 expert. But now they started at 56 and over. Yeah. Any desire or? If it comes up, it comes up. I'm not going to put the time in to run out to it. You're right. It's just because, I mean, it, I got too many other things in life to worry about right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's something where, yeah, sure, I'd love to go do it. Yeah. But it, it's funny thing is, I'd still be racing the same eight guys. Right. <laughs> There is a race later on in the summer in um, LA, somewhere up there, I think. They've got a national there, so yeah, it'd be cool to knows? see you out there, you know? Who knows? Yeah. The course. time is still possible. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, life outside BMX. What else do you do? I know you're a family man, busy, work. Yeah, I'm a, a financial consultant. So yeah. I have a consultant practice that I work on, on myself and a partner. And then I have a bike company, EKG. Many of you might know that's there. Um, I've had that since 2014. So you make bikes? Um, yeah, frames, bars. Um, we've had that since 14. And prior to that, we had Pro Concepts. And that was established, what, 96? You was involved in Pro Concepts? Yeah. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, my buddy and I, we sat down on a pizza box, designed the bike. And that was, it made it to the Nork Up winning bike. I mean, that was a good team as well. They had a big trailer and everything, right? Yeah. yeah. So that was, yeah, I didn't realize you were part of that. Yeah. So that was one of those things where it just... We've had, we've had a lot of things in BMX that have been very, very big blessings. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to be a part of all those items. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, one of those things where you know how it's going to work. You, you, you build uh, something that works and you let it go and see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And then you move on. Mm -hmm. And then so 
the only reason I even have a bike company now is so it gives me a reason to go get ride a bike. Yeah. It's mine. I might as well ride it. Yeah, yeah. And you're still good. Some good photos popped up of you from Dirty Fest. Definitely got still got that Barry style, you know, you, you know always what? know it's, it's you. It, yeah. If there was anything I could still do is jump. Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. I love being able to get on a bike and just ride it. Mm-hmm. I mean, getting on a gate and not thinking about it is a wonderful thing, even at 56 years old. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you ride amazing for your age. Like I say, it's... Uh, Thank you. It'd be great to see you racing again, you know? I, think I appreciate be. that. I, I'm happy I didn't race against you, though. No, we never did. No, just Orange Wednesday night. <laughs> we drag race, though. So. What's funny <laughs> is uh, our careers kind of ran in parallel. Yeah. Because you're a little bit younger than me, so mm-hmm. it's like kind of worked out we just ran in parallel yeah yeah i mean we were at the same places yeah a lot yeah it just didn't work that we were racing together no no we didn't but i always respected you and how fast you were and like say the the orange county guys is there any jumping back to orange because i love that conversation um was anybody that were really good at orange but didn't make it and you think why didn't that guy make it or any any of those kind of riders there there's many people that would come out to orange and actually do very very well locally yeah and just never make the jump yeah. Or they try it once or twice and then disappear. Yeah. Um, and there was many local tracks that we had. Cold Canyon, for example, mm-hmm. had tons of riders mm-hmm. that would come out. And then we learned there was about a two-year cycle. Mm-hmm. They would come into the, the sport, race, spend everything they could to race, mm-hmm. get a sponsorship, and then quit. Yeah. And that was like a, a turn and burn about every two years. Remember Robert Cuz Taylor? Yes. That dude was so fast. Yeah, and straight, so young. He was like 15, 16. Straight line speed. The yeah. guy was incredible. I think he could have made it if he stuck around. He did get a first or second in double A. Maybe when you said Burbank. Yeah. I think he got first or second at that. And he was only like 16, 17. Yes, he, and he was, he was, he was incredibly fast. He used to be at the track a lot. He surrounded All the time. Him. Yeah. And he was incredibly fast. And yeah. He was, his, his first straighter was explosive. Mm, he's he was like Riverside, way. right? Yeah. And it, but he'd come down to the track, I remember. He'd come down the track all the time because... Uh, if you think about it, Cole Canyon was halfway in between yeah. and then Orange to Cole Canyon without traffic is a half hour drive. So yeah. it was actually close enough to make that jump. Yeah. But yeah, because Taylor was really fast. Yeah. I remember, I don't know how, but I remember taking him home a few times. Like when I got a car and he's like, hey man, can you take me home? Um, and I remember driving him up to Riverside somewhere, but I thought that kid was so goddamn good. Yeah, he was. You know? he, he was one of those many riders who yeah. was incredibly fast, super talented and just yeah. kind of Melted away. Yeah, yeah. Happens to a lot, though, like say. Well, it, it, if you think about it, that happened to a lot of people that we can think of that were really fast at their time. Mm-hmm. Robert Zanon, for example. What about yeah. that guy? See, he was, he, I read about him in the magazines. I never actually saw him. He was already gone before I got here. He, yeah. he was an yeah. orange local that was incredibly fast. Yeah, it's like Redline and yeah. Hutch, maybe. Redline. Yeah. And then he just moved just on with his life. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of people who did just that. Mm hmm. And then there's some dinosaurs like me that decide to stick around. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and so it, it's one of those things where it's, I, I, I'm very, very proud of the fact that I got to play on a kid's bicycle my whole life. Mm-hmm. And that for me is one of those things where I look back on it and go, I didn't waste my time playing on a kid's bike. No. I've got to see a lot of the world because of that thing. Yeah. I really say you, you, you led the life of the, to me, the, the BMX magazines, everything I wanted to do and be in California and everything we just talked about, you know, so I think you really was there at a good time you know so uh, yeah the bmx magazines i guess was uh my scrapbook if you will yeah yeah it really was because if there was a jump place in the magazine that showed up i had a group of friends on the weekends that go okay let's go find that one yeah. wherever it is let's go find where they shot that photo yeah and we'd hit it 
yeah, that's uh, cool. Roscoe Trails up in the valley. Mm-hmm. We drove up there on a whim to try to find that place. Right. Three hours later, we found it. Mm-hmm. It was a blast. Because yeah, so back cool. then, it was like, if you didn't jump it, you, went, you didn't go home. Right. Oh, I'd have been really hurting <laughs> <laughs> with that thing. Barry, do you still, um, let's finish it off. Let's, um, today's racing, do you follow, follow the pros much racing? I know it's completely different now. What's your thoughts on everything today? I, I follow it so little because I just don't have that kind of time. But what I do follow on it, I'm still impressed at how fast they can go. Yeah. It's incredibly different than the racing we grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, it's so engineered. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the first jump on those tracks now, those guys can coast from the gate and still clear it. Yeah. So what that tells you is the jump's going to happen whether you want to or not. Mm-hmm. It's having all those other people around you. Yeah. That makes it a challenge. Yeah. And so I, uh, that's a big jump from a kid who's racing a 15-year-old, 16-year-old says, I want to go do that. Mm-hmm. There's a, such a gap to get to that point. Not many people can do that. Mm-hmm. So it's more, it makes BMX more of elitist at that level. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you take a family sport and then take it to that jump. I understand, yeah, yeah. That's definitely different. Well, I mean, even the tracks at the, the Olympics, you know, where they have grass in between all the jumps. What that's telling you is you're not going to roll anything like you do at a local track. Because mm-hmm. what these kids do today is what? They roll everything. Mm-hmm. They don't get off the ground at all. No. So that is a big differential between the top level track versus your local track. Who, any, any particular riders that you really like to watch? I just like watching the way the race now. Yeah. It, it's, but it is very much steeplechase racing. Yeah. There is no contact. There is, it's kind of like if you're old enough to re- realize what I'm going to say to you. On, on any Sunday when they show Japanese speedway racing. Right. Yeah. Do you remember that? It was in, in, in American Speedway, they, there's contact. Mm-hmm. In Japanese Speedway, there's no sound, there's no contact. Oh, he said They it, just right. go around. Right. And uh, I'll, it's one of those Larry Huffman talking in my ear that I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. It's, that's the dynamic. It's BMX as it used to be versus the way it is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. I, I'm, I kind of stuck in the old school, I hate to say it. I like going to the trails. I like playing on my bike. But it's like, yeah, I'm not really worried about doing that new stuff too much. No, no, I understand. Um, you know, there's always the conversation, who's the GOAT, who's the greatest? For me, it's like when I hear new guys talk about it, I'm like, you didn't even know about the history and history. You obviously know the history from the 70s and 80s. Who do you think some of the, the best riders for you? you think? That, that's a very loaded question, Dale. Yeah, I yeah. got to tell you. And the reason I say it's loaded is because I think every era had somebody who was like the pinnacle. Yeah. And every era... It's hard to choose, isn't it? It's really hard to choose mm. because back then you could actually look at a picture and know exactly who the guy was just by the way they held their bike in the air. Mm-hmm. Style was mm-hmm. all a, a thing. Mm-hmm. Now today it's long, lean, and how mm. fast can we go? Mm-hmm. And so it's really difficult to pinpoint. I have a lot of riders who I think were favorites, and, I, and I'm lucky enough to call them all friends, but... Mm-hmm. It's like Brian Foster could do anything on a bike. Yeah. That guy had more talent in one hand than anybody on a bike. Mm-hmm. And he was one of those people that you just like, wow, he did that, he did that, he did that. Mm-hmm. His brother, Alan, incredibly fast. Yeah. Super charismatic on a bike. Mm-hmm. But light years apart from the way they rode each other. Yeah. You know, and so then you watch Gary Ellis, extremely fast, powerful, Greg Hill, mm-hmm. Stewart. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those things where you start going through the eras. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, you can't pick one it's, I It's really hard to do it. Into, I, I do it. Sometimes I'm teasing myself in my head when I'm daydreaming, you know? It's it like, would almost be like, it'd be a better question. It would mm-hmm. be, what would be your favorite gate to watch? Yeah. 
every era, put them on one gate. Yeah. I'd have to throw Christophe on that gate. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Tomas Elier. Mm-hmm. I'd have to. Mm-hmm. Kyle Bennett. Yeah. I mean, people like that, you just, you have to throw them all in the gate. And yeah. Say, I think you could have two loaded gates. Oh, easily. Easily. <laughs> easily. And see, that's the thing. Yeah. You and I grew up with mm. a, a, a very lucky time in life. Yeah. With bikes. Mm. You really did. Awesome, Barry. It was great chatting. Really enjoyed that. Well, thank so, you. I appreciate that. No, thank you. And uh, thanks for coming down. I hope everybody enjoyed that. I know a lot of you are going to like that. Barry's got great history and uh, it was a great talking. And uh, thanks for doing it, Barry. And we'll, uh, we'll chat to everybody later. Cheers.